it's Invest Diva and your coach, Kiana Danielle. Welcome to Diva on the Block, where we take you to the back streets of this whole blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto shenanigans to help you get a better understanding of what really is going on and how you can take advantage of it. Today, I'm super excited. Oh my God, you guys, are you ready for this? Our guest today is Caitlin Long. She is a 22-year Wall Street veteran who has been active in the Bitcoin and blockchain industries since 2012. She has been leading the charge to make Wyoming uh, an oasis for blockchain companies in the U.S., a Harvard Law School graduate, so we can all agree that she's just incredible. And today we're going to discuss how early Wall Street got involved with crypto, and the answer to that could surprise you. Say welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. And we first Thank actually, met, the first time I saw you speak was at the Women on the Block event, like yeah. two weeks ago on May. And I was like, oh my God, this woman is so awesome. <laughs> and then we met again <laughs> oh, in consensus and I like track, I'm like, I gotta get you on my show. So. Oh, awesome. Oh, it's, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. I'm, I'm on my phone in, uh, I'll do the best to hold it in the, hold it steady here. Um, and I've just moved to Wyoming and I don't have everything set up yet. So you're my first, uh, first video blog, uh, interview. All right. Uh, and well, I don't have my I, I take it. set up yet. So <laughs> you're not completely <laughs> moved. You completely uh, moved now. Oh yeah. I picked up from the New York city area and moved home back home to Wyoming. Obviously I've been spending a lot of time here. Uh, back All right. Home, yeah, I uh, know. I was going to ask you about past. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, we were here, the legislative session is always in, you know, January, February, which is not exactly the nicest time in, to be in Wyoming. It's deep winter and obviously, you know, it's high elevation, so it's cold, but the summers here are spectacular. So I wanted to be sure, you know, when we pulled the trigger to move out here that uh, we got here to be able to enjoy the summer and it's been great, but I can't only um, imagine. Is it the yeah. whole family? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But you know, the move is obviously a cross country move. Uh, I, I do not recommend it. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> oh my God. I can uh, only imagine. I moved literally like two cities down and it was a mess. It's, I can't yeah. imagine how people do it. It was oh like, my. I mean, yeah. and even like we did multiple backs and forths and it was mm -hmm. like, like we were lucky because we could like just drive back sometimes. Like how do you do it even cross country? I, I, I can't imagine. It, it, it was, it was brutal. I do not recommend it. It's funny. You know, when I left Wyoming to go to graduate school in Boston, I had almost nothing. I was just a college kid. And, uh, you know, then of course you accumulate stuff when you, you know, move right. to the city, no, apartment, and then to a house. The day. I know. Yeah. Like, I, I went from Iran to Japan with like oh, one wow. suitcase. From Japan right. to America, I, I stayed in Japan for seven years. When I came to America, I had like oh, three suitcases. Oh, that's <laughs> then, I didn't realize all that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. but then, then when I came to America, and then you settle, and then like within a year, <laughs> I had the whole yeah. van of stuff. So. Oh my, yeah. You know, and I have so many books because I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a collector of, of books on interesting topics and. That was, uh, that was, that was an interesting that challenge. You cannot be thing. in a small apartment with a lot of books, but, um, getting it all set up. And so, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm holding my phone, hopefully holding it steadily enough that, uh, that you can see, and I don't have my normal background. So apologies to your viewers it's for this not great. being perfect. No, it's awesome. great. So let me just ask you this. So you've been involved in wall street for like 22 years and then yeah. 
you got into Bitcoin in 2012. So if it's safe yeah. to say you were one of the first women to get involved involved in Bitcoin, right? Well, I don't know about that. There were a lot of other women around before me, um, including some developers. But I don't know, maybe maybe just because of my Wall Street background, folks were interested in hearing what I had to say, because especially back then, there were not a lot of Wall Street people who were willing to stick their necks up and say, hey, I'm involved with this for fear of being fired. And in the beginning, of course, I was afraid of being fired. And then as it started to become more accepted that this was a thing, um, uh, it, it, uh, actually what happened at the time was I was participating on the Morgan Stanley Bitcoin Forum. I was a managing director, which is the highest title there, running a business. And the chief technology officer saw a bunch of you know younger, more junior people. And then he saw me and I stuck out like a sore thumb. So he called me out <laughs> of the blue and said, what do you know about this? Uh, and after that, you know, a lot started happening pretty quickly. He got me uh, involved in a small group that vetted all of the blockchain opportunities that were coming in fast and furious at that time. And it was purely a side gig for me, but I learned so much from him. And, and I, I really respect what he taught me in part because he was such a skeptic about it. And it helped me understand and refine my arguments about it much better. But that is like really early on. 2012 is like yeah. most people didn't even hear about Bitcoin until 2016. So, and most people may not even know that Morgan Stanley was involved in Bitcoin that early on. And what oh, yeah. happened to that? And are they still involved? <laughs> well, it's a good question. Um, I, I had, I was starting to talk to clients. I was on the corporate side of the investment banking wall. So not the retail side of the firm, but uh, I was working with corporate treasurers. And in May 2014, the treasurer of Disney asked us to present something at a, at a corporate treasurers conference that Morgan Stanley was sponsoring. And we had an extra half hour in the schedule. And uh, she said, throw me some interesting topics. And so I put Bitcoin on the list and she picked <laughs> it. And what was funny is at that time, and you know, this was five years ago now, um, it was Everybody was afraid of it, right? And so, but we had the treasurer of Disney asking to hear from Morgan Stanley about it. And her thought process was she wanted to hear from somebody mainstream. And she had a lot of questions about it because at the time um, there were people who were looking to use Bitcoin to, in the theme parks. And she was also, um, they, they own ESPN and BitPay had won the auction to sponsor one of the bowl, football bowl games and they wanted to pay in Bitcoin. So she needed somebody who could explain it to her. And what was fascinating, that was the large cap corporate treasurers. So it was, you know, Ford and Intel. Um, and then there was another meeting. They always split into two groups because you can never have Ford and GM in the same meeting and, you know, Verizon and AT&T in the same meeting, that kind of thing. For antitrust reasons, they always se separate out those direct competitors from each other. So they have two versions of that meeting. Um, and I went to that second version of the meeting. I remember the, the treasurer of Verizon asking, raising his hand. He stopped me. Um, and this would have been like, you know, early September 2014. He stopped me and said, whoa, this is a big deal. I want to ask everybody else in the room, who's heard of this? How many consultants have been calling you about this? And nobody raised their hand. And that in, in that room was the treasurers of Microsoft and Oracle and Cisco and it was a, you know, it, it was fun that Morgan Stanley was the one that actually opened the eyes to big corporate America about what the, the opportunities were for the corporate treasurers to save money on their payments, which is a big deal for, for businesses. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, 
and, and also literally to clean up all the issues on Wall Street. I've obviously talked a lot, a, a lot right. more. Right, I was actually going to ask you that, those. but actually I do have a question here. So this yeah. is Bitcoin, not blockchain. Yeah, people yeah. People actually interested in Bitcoin. The thing yeah. that then they started throwing shades at it, calling it fraud and everything. But back yeah. in, as early as 2012, they well, were- back then, yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, that, that's, I mean, as early as then, there was already interest and there was actually a need and demand from their customers to be paying yeah. Bitcoin. So that is a very fascinating. Well, to learn about it, right? You know, in, 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 in the Disney case, I don't mean to single them out because there were other companies who were experiencing something similar, um, you know, where their customers were asking, could they start paying in Bitcoin? This was right after Overstock.com had started to accept Bitcoin as payment. That, that was like early 2014, as I recall. Um, and yeah, um, this, this started to become a big thing and, and it, but it went all the way up to the head of the compliance department at Morgan Stanley. Uh, my presentation did because it was the first time that it actually had the word Bitcoin in, um, in a presentation with Morgan Stanley's logo. And of course that was never made public. That was only for, uh, you know, the corporate clients use at that time. But, um, I salute Morgan Stanley, you know, when a big company, and I, I really, I salute uh, the, the treasurer of Disney who had the guts to stand up and say, yeah, we, we really need to learn about this back then. I don't think anybody was using it at the time, but I will say this, that meeting turned into a lot of additional meetings where big corporate treasurers were also then looking to dig into it. And a lot has come out of all that. Some of the involvement that, that big companies have been in with blockchain generally, of course, everybody starts with the easy stuff, which is supply chain, right? Um, and that's taken off in a big, big, big way. Look at, you know, Walmart and IBM and, um, everyone's and, getting involved now <laughs> on the supply chain. Right. Because it's, right. it's, it's an easier, it's an easier ask, you know, you're not moving money or you're not moving personal identity data. So it's the lower bar and that's where everybody started. But trust me, I guarantee everybody is, is, uh, is watching Bitcoin itself because there comes a point in time bringing it up to you know, today, where the bid offer spread between the buyers and sellers of Bitcoin starts to become so compelling for big companies to move large amounts of money that ultimately corporate treasurers are gonna switch over to it. And um, I, I can't say this definitively, but I do know that there are multiple companies um, that are using it already and frankly have been since 2014. I know some of them were using it in 2014 for Bitcoin, for very not any small. other cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. not oh, Ripple yeah. or anything else. Yeah, well, you know, they looked at that too. I, I did a big project with Seagate Technology I've written about on my blog and we looked at Ripple. Actually, that's how Seagate got involved in Ripple um, and, and invested in Ripple was because of, um, because of the involvement that I had in, Seagate had a real practical business problem, which is, how do we move money around the world cheaply and quickly? And in their case, um, follow, follow this with me a little bit. You know, companies always have to keep a certain amount of cash trapped in their bank accounts because the banks always look at, they never want to be overdrawn, right? Because if, you, if a bank account is overdrawn, then the, comp, then the bank is lending the company money. Well, banks lend companies money in all kinds of ways, and they only have a certain amount of credit capacity that they'll use to to lend money to a particular company. Seagate at the time wasn't what's called a non-investment grade company. It was a risky credit. And so the banks made them trap extra cash in their, in their bank account in order to make sure that they never were overdrawn. Well, that was costing Seagate a lot of money. So we went through, and as I, as I wrote in, in my blog with, with an interview 
with a CFO that I think was dated 2016, but it pertained to this 2014 time period, we did a big project of what if Seagate didn't have to track all that extra cash in its bank account? And we estimated that it could free up $200 million of cash. And Seagate is, you know, not a huge company. Um, and so, you know, think about that relative to the rest of, of businesses, multinational businesses. How much cash could they free up if we figure out how to have much more efficient and um, faster payments where the banks don't force companies to trap cash in their own bank accounts so that they're never overdrawn. A lot, a lot. Absolutely. It's but billions, so now banks yeah. like JP Morgan are creating their own cryptocurrency. So yeah. how do you see that coming into play with the whole Bitcoin? You know, it's yeah. kind of like Facebook Libra. Um, I think all these things are, are going to happen around the edges, but I, there isn't a better payment system, in my humble opinion, than Bitcoin for large value transfers. Now, that has all kinds of caveats with it. It's volatile. It's not that liquid. You know, the price can move on you. The bid offer spread can move on you. The fees can move on you. So right. I don't like, think actually, like that yet. is, I think that is one of the reasons why majority of people are scared of investing sure. in Bitcoin or pay with Bitcoin. So how do these big banks overcome the volatility and the lack well, of liquidity? Yeah, they're doing the stablecoin thing. So that's kind of what Facebook is doing, right? I look at that as an intermediate step. I've written a lot in Forbes.com about Facebook Libra. It's a double-edged sword. They're taking a lot of the heat that ultimately the, the crypto industry was going to have coming to us. And, you know, they're in a better position, frankly, to take it than they have the all the data. You bet. And they've got the money, the deep pockets, great people involved in the project. So, uh, but on the flip side, they're going to actually help the world learn about cryptocurrencies and realize that you don't have to have government money. And, uh, you know, basically that Facebook Libra is, in my opinion, um, basically like a money market, a giant money market fund uh, where you can actually train, trade the fund interests rather than having to, to do what we do today, which is cash out our money market funds into, into dollars in our bank account in order to spend them. There, you can actually spend the fund interest. That's kind of how I think about it. You know, it's an intermediate step. It gets us. What do you think of it becoming going. a monopoly and a superpower in the monetary system? No, that's a big that's a big risk. But by the way, what they would be doing is implicitly threatening the existing monopolies. Because let's face it, you know, central banks are monopolies and, right, but the, and they control the money. The monopoly because they have more population than most countries in the world and yeah. have all the data. So this is going to become like literally one central bank for the world. Yeah, well, it could be. I, it, you know, I saw today in the news that a couple of the partners are now bowing under government pressure to back out of the association. So, you know, it's, this is not a sure thing that, that it will get off the ground, but I think it would be a shame if it doesn't. Um, even despite the fact that it's a double-edged sword, because in the developing world in particular, right. where currencies are far less stable than they are in the developed world, admittedly, they're not stable in the developed world. There's just the perception of them being stable. I can come back to that in a minute. But in the developing world, there's no question Facebook Libra is going to be, uh, in my humble opinion, a shot in the arm to the individual citizens of those countries who have been forced to live under in unstable currencies. Right. No, I mean, I can, I can vouch for that. I'm from Iran. Iran. My yeah. parents are in Iran yeah. and the Iranian government, the Iranian currency's value is like diving yeah. like crazy. Sure. The value of it is just yeah. like toilet paper it's right very now. very unfair. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so um, this is the one, this is, this is, this empowers the individuals in those parts of the world. And it also 
it keeps the central banks honest. I think there's going to be an indirect pressure. You know, the Zimbabwe central bank can't, can't do what it's done multiple times during our lifetimes and, and destroy the currency, the new currency. They can't because they're, they'll, the, 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 the consumers have a choice. The interesting question is, what does it look like for the developed world? You know, why would you want to have Facebook Libra where it's it, it, basically you're, you're in a basket of currencies. So if you're a U.S. dollar user, you, you probably don't want to store a lot. Of right. You have all the power and Facebook majority Libra. of American yeah. people don't. I mean, I, I talk about, OK, you are you have the ability now to, uh, I don't know, buy and sell from other parts of the world in directly. But majority of American people don't even see that necessity to be in touch with somebody in Iran, I guess. So um, right. yeah, that has been one of the, I think, biggest reasons why I think cryptocurrency has been lagging in use in the developed world compared to the, the rest of the countries around the world. Yeah, and I've been a little surprised, more than a little surprised at the Trump administration's stand on this because he's had such a success in deregulating big parts of the economy outside of financial services. And yet he's got a former Goldman Sachs banker as his treasury secretary, who's yelling and screaming about cryptocurrency being, you know, all for, uh, all used by, you know, druggies and dark yeah. web and terrorists, which, which makes no sense, especially from a conservative point of view, because they are using, I mean, I'm growing up, they're using guns that could be used literally by criminals to kill people, but they're, Point, uh, counterpart point is that, well, no, I want it to be self-defense. So Bitcoin and crypto is literally that. It can be used by criminals, but it also self-defense, right? Or, yeah. or it gives you freedom financial. You know, there's, uh, I've talked to some people behind the scenes who, who've given me some insight. There's a real struggle in the administration between, you know, the Steve Bannon wing. He's been in, involved with Bitcoin. You know, he's a big supporter of it. There have been some who've been big supporters of it. And then the more traditional Wall Street types, who of course view this as you know disruptive and uh, and and are not, uh, clearly not afraid to use the power of that bully pulpit, so to speak, as well as the power of the regular regulatory regime to try to make it go away. But here's the problem: guess what? They'll never be able to ban it, as you know. There um, is no company. Who do they go to? You can't exactly. say Bitcoin headquarters. This is banned. But well, the other thing that actually does, again, I'm going to go back to the international point of view because you yep. obviously knowledgeable on this. So now that Iranian government is also, so they banned it first and yeah. then they got back in and now they're mining tens of thousands of Bitcoin. Yeah. The government, which is, yeah. you know, the Iranian government, the people are different. Interesting. And all that stuff. I didn't know that. So, yeah. Now, yeah, like it is kind of interesting that now the Iranian government is getting involved and then the Iranian people, which this could have been a very much of a benefit to them, are also involved. And how does it pan out? And I'm a little bit confused as if, is this a good thing? But now the Iranian government is involved. So how, what do you think of that? Well, it's unfortunately because in the, in the power struggle within the United States, the, the sort of pro-Wall Street wing of the Trump administration, who is also in line with the, you know, anti-terrorist finance folks who, uh, this is, you know, to be, to be blunt, they don't always know the difference between an American and a terrorist, right? They just assume that everybody is a terrorist unless proven otherwise. And, and they're really cracking down um, in the traditional financial industry on who uses the financial system. I'll just give you an example. Um, I've, I've discovered being in Wyoming that people who have a PO box for their 
residence address, which of course is a lot of rural people in the United States who don't live in the cities and towns, um, they're not allowed to use the financial system anymore. This is a relatively new rule. What? You have to have a physical address. Yep. Right. And so these kinds of stupid regulations oh that, that may be well-intentioned, but have these unintended consequences. We're going to have a lot of rural people when the banks actually have to go and update their compliance lists, which they have to do compliance audits every now and then. Um, since we, it's, it may be a few years before all these rural for, folks figure it out, but um, they're, they're now going to lose access to the banking system. In fact, I learned about this through Representative Tyler Lindholm at the, at the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force. He lives literally 20 miles um, from the nearest highway in a, on a ranch, and he only has a P.O. box, and he couldn't get cryptocurrency trading accounts at the exchanges because he, they couldn't verify his address with the U.S. Postal Service. So uh, that's just one example of the, the crackdown on compliance that's gotten nutty. Um, right. And, and so exam so I, I, one of my students was asking me the other day, like, hey, I, I don't want to upload my ID on, yeah. on the web, but I cannot open an exchange, Bitcoin ex uh, yeah. account with Coinbase. So it yeah. kind of takes away from the freedom that Bitcoin was supposed to yeah. uh, bring. Well, that's Coinbase's. That's not Coinbase's but, fault. That's the U.S. regulator's fault. Right. That they're forcing Coinbase exactly. to do that. Right. Yeah. And we talked about that at the task force meeting earlier this week. In fact, that 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 one of the challenges with these know your customer laws is that it forces Americans to give up more information than we need to to verify our identity um, to institutions that may not actually be holding our data securely. And so, is there a way we can use blockchain technology to um, you know, to facilitate that we own our own data and, you know, we own it in a personal data trust, for example, the trust is authorized to monetize it, A, so you don't have the Facebook and Google type situations where they're making all this money off our own, our, our data, we're not getting paid. Um, but alternatively, let's say that, um, you know, your, your daughter goes to a bar and shows her ID with her address on it, because government, government IDs require that you show your address. Well, the, some bouncer takes a picture of her, of her ID while she's not looking and then he knows where she lives, right? Those, why, why does the bouncer at a bar need to know anything other than whether, you know, green light the person's over 21, doesn't need to know date of birth, address, even whether it's a male or female, right? So, so we're talking about some of those things. We don't have answers yet. Part of the reason we don't have answers is we don't think the technology is quite there yet on the identity piece. It, it, but it's moving in that direction, and, and Wyoming wants to be among the first. In fact, Governor Gordon is Wyoming very is. So actually, that was going to be my, first, uh, my next question. Yeah. Wyoming has been one of the leaders, basically, in the country when it comes to using the blockchain and Bitcoin. So what is the latest, and what has been accomplished so far? Well, we've gotten 13 bills passed, really making Wyoming, as, as Governor Gordon signed in a proclamation a couple of weeks ago, the cryptocurrency capital of the United States. He used those exact words, which is just awesome. We are so pro this industry, it is, it is awesome. And what will be happening is that the institutions, the financial institutions involved in the industry are gonna be migrating here because the legal regime here is so much more favorable. Why? Because it gives you basic legal clarity. It's like the protocol layer of a technology system is its most important, the data, the data layer, if you will, the protocol layer of, of Bitcoin, for example. Um, that is the basic, it, the equivalent in the legal system is the basic commercial law and Bitcoin, you know, and cryptocurrencies didn't fit in any of the basic categories of existing commercial law. So we did something very simple, which is we defined them under commercial law. 
And so you now know what the rights and obligations of parties from a legal perspective are. You know how to create an enforceable lien if you want to pledge your cryptocurrency asset as, a, as collateral for a loan. And we know the crypto lending market has taken off. Um, we, we've defined how a third-party custodian can custody the assets, and we've done it in a way that's very different than the way custody works in the traditional securities industry now. We did it in a way that, that's more akin to valet parking. When you drop off your car or like a coat check, you give your coat to the coat check, that coat check is, is, is not the legal owner of your coat. You still own it. And all you've done is given them temporary possession of it, but you retain control of it. Uh, and if the coat check goes bust while your coat has been checked there, you are what's called outside of the bankruptcy estate of the business. You can go get your asset back. And so we've designed crypto custody to be exactly that. You legally are not turning over title to your asset. In the traditional securities industry or the traditional banking industry, believe it or not, everything is an IOU. We think we own the brokerage, you know, the assets in our brokerage account. We don't. Our broker owns them and, and owes them to us. So that's a crazy system. We'd never design it the way that it looks now if we were starting from scratch. We'd design something that looks a lot more like the Bitcoin structure where it's a bearer asset. If you choose to deposit it in a third party, then it's a credit exposure that you have that that third party might go bust. But the way we did it is that you don't actually turn title over unless you choose to. Um, so we've, we've set up what I think is a killer app uh, in, in legal regime. And it, it looks to me like we're going to have a pretty substantial um, uh, asset base in, within the state of Wyoming about a year from now. It's going to take that long, so I don't want to overpromise timing-wise, but it's pretty clear this is going to be a mecca for the cryptocurrency industry because that the legal is regime is so, so favorable. Yeah, that is I'm super much more amazing. confident now. No, yeah. I mean, you've been working on this for... <laughs> 18 months or so. Yeah. No, it's yeah. beautiful. I mean, and you've been yeah. really active and doing really amazing, amazing things yeah. for, the, uh, for the industry as a whole. But you have also, again, let's go back to Wall Street times. You've worked on Wall yeah. Street. You know all the problems there. In your opinion, what is the biggest problem that Wall Street and the our current financial system has? Oh, uh, well, um, at a high level, nobody knows who really owns the assets because a lot more people think they own the assets than really exist. Um, but at a practical level, the Federal Reserve allowed a lot more banks to issue dollars, especially overseas, than they understood. And there's a gigantic short position in the U.S. dollar out there. And when you get into these environments like we have now, where it seems like the U.S. economy is fine, so why are interest rates crashing? Uh, it's because there's a gigantic dollar shortage and we're having a big short squeeze in the U.S. dollar. A lot of people think the U.S. dollar is going to collapse at some point, and I agree with them. But that doesn't mean there isn't going to be a hell of a head fake rally where the dollar rallies like crazy. And that's indeed what we're, what we're seemingly entering into right now. So, Good for crypto. Uh, uh, so the U.S. dollar is in danger, kind of. But do you think yeah. the final nail in the stone is going to be Bitcoin to completely collapse it, or it has nothing to do with it? Well, I like the way Seyfedean Amos puts it, that, you know, basically it allows us to have a choice. You know, we don't have to, um, we don't have to see a terrible collapse of, of the U.S. dollar in order to get people to come into Bitcoin. People will naturally come into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on their own over time by choice. And 
he said he's not convinced that we're going to have a terrible crash because basically as people choose to opt out of the existing system and go into the new one, they starve the beast. That's the way fractional reserve banking works. It just kind of gradually over time, as we're seeing now, becomes harder and harder and harder for them to create more new dollars out of scratch. And so uh, I, you know, I'm optimistic because I can control for the first time in my life, thanks to Satoshi Nakamoto, I can control my financial assets. I'm not beholden to a system that forces me into IOU type debtor creditor type relationships with leveraged counterparties who might go bust. Uh, so, and so in your opinion, but it's wonderful. No one is, well, what about the Bitcoin volatility at the end of the, like, let's say you're in America, you're a patriot and you don't want yep. to see the US dollar to be hurting. So what do you say to these people that are like, I, I don't even want to, if, if there was a choice, I want to remain in my US dollar position because I don't, I, I'm a patriot. Like I, I've heard people like, I, I want the US to have this power that it has. And do you think that is something legit that they're thinking about? And do you think that they should be worried that Bitcoin is going to take over and they're going to be left behind or Bitcoin and US dollar can actually coexist? Uh, I, I said that in the response to President Trump um, when he came out with his tweets um, and talked and I responded about, you know, Wyoming is the state that, that handed him the highest margin of victory of all states in the last election. And it, his margin of victory in Wyoming was even higher than Ronald Reagan's was, just to give you some sense. And so how is it that you can be so anti-crypto when the governor of Wyoming is, is, is the Why do you the think he is so anti-crypto? Well, this gets back to, I think the Wall Street folks are in control right now, but that's not to say they will remain in control. So uh, I, do say, I did say, and I honestly believe, I think the dollar and Bitcoin can coexist. Indefinitely, will they coexist? No. Um, and and I'm a, I do believe Bitcoin will win, but I think we've got a long ways to go before that happens. So I'm not somebody who's all in. I don't know that we're not going to find a zero day exploit in Bitcoin. Nobody knows that, right? We've had some pretty bad bugs that have come up even relatively recently in Bitcoin history. It's never been hacked. Um, and I love the incentive structure that everybody has to get those bugs fixed once they get, get identified. Uh, but you know, I don't want my, all my assets in the traditional financial industry either, or in, or in U.S. dollars even, because uh, it's a debt-based currency, and the balance sheet of the United States is the cleanest, dirty shirt. But it's a it's a leveraged balance sheet, and I do fear that there is a chance that that we could have uh, a, a very painful collapse because there's not much balance sheet left in order to keep piling more debt onto the U.S. economy. We are a debtor nation in the United States, uh, and we haven't had much pain from being that yet, but it will come, I, I think, during my lifetime. And, and I just love the fact that we have this new technology that enables us to store some of our assets outside of that system. We're not trapped in it anymore. But that, all that said, I'm not calling for a collapse of the dollar tomorrow. I actually think the opposite. I think the dollar is going to have an unbelievable head fake rally. And a lot of people are going to take that as affirmation that the U.S. is very strong but it's not that, that, don't read it that way either. It's just a giant short covering rally because the Federal Reserve lost control of, of US dollar creation by ceding it to foreign banks 30 years ago. And that's just gone crazy in, in the last several decades. So what is your advice to a regular average investor when it comes to investing in cryptocurrency and diversifying their portfolio with 
U.S.-based commodities and equities and the U.S. dollar and cryptocurrencies? Well, I don't give financial advice, uh, but I do like the way Wences Cazares, uh, the, the former CEO of Zappo, said, you know, look at this situation and ask yourself, if it does work and it really is sort of a killer app, you know, 20 years from now, how much will you have wanted to own knowing what you did today? Um, and vice versa, you know, because we don't know that it, it, is, that it is a killer app, how, uh, you know, how much is too much? Essentially, can you afford not to own it? But if you do own it, how much can you really afford to lose? And I think that's a great way to think about it. It's all an individual decision and it's all based on what your personal situation and your personal risk tolerance is. But I, I also like the way Anthony Pompliano uses the phrase, get off zero. I don't think it's responsible to have none um, of, your, of your financial assets in, in, a, in bearer form, whether it's um, you know, US dollar cash or gold or cryptocurrencies. Those are assets that nobody owes to you and you control them. And um, if, you know, when you're trying to make sure for your own family that, that you can always feed them and um, if something goes wrong that, that you know you can you know, buy a tank of gas and that sort of thing, right? There's, there are plenty of examples in history of what people used as money in those emergency situations. And, and I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about that. It's, it's your own unique situation that controls. Right. I mean, I always tell uh, my people that. So again, going back to my personal stories that my dad sure. used to be a, a very successful CEO in Iran before the revolution happened, after the revolution, oh, government over all of his assets, everything, right. properties, yep. bank account, everything. He went, we went down to poverty. But if he had even a fraction of his assets in crypto, I would not have been raised in poverty. So that's the reason why personally I think wow. it's very powerful. And I think the very. problem problem here in the developed world is that you don't ever think that this could ever happen to you but hey the Persian Empire was a very big massive empire and it collapsed yeah. so yep. oh, of course everything yeah. can so you cannot take any security I think for granted and you should always be uh, looking out for something planning for something that you haven't planned basically it, it's a great point and the Persian Empire as you said was a powerful empire and if you go and look at the history of empires in this country how many of them it collapsed, right? You know, the British Empire used to, the sun used to never set on the British Empire. You know, we had the, 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 the Spanish golden age. If you think about it, just so, of course, I mean, going back further in Greece before that, how, and if you look at the history of what causes these empires to collapse, there are common themes. And, and one of them is that they get themselves overstretched. Financially, it's always a different manifestation, whether it's wars or, or the like. Oftentimes it is wars. Um, sometimes it's natural disasters, right? Um, but, but, but always it's some form of debt. And so I think a lot of folks can't fathom the concept that the United States won't be the strongest country in the world. Uh, but you know what? It won't. History shows it won't. Like you said, you know, there have been so many different empires that in, in human history declined and um there will be a new one rising but a lot of folks ask about china uh boy there's an awful lot of debt on china's balance sheet i think um their their empire so to speak is is going to be a lot a lot shorter lived than most of us expect because watching that balance sheet they've put more debt on the united on their balance sheet than it took the united states you know 50 years post-world war 
too, to put on its balance sheet. And, you know, China did that in 10 years. So they've been eating up balance sheet faster than any other empire to my knowledge in history. And so I don't think they're necessarily the answer either. What scares me about the current situation and, and makes me optimistic about Bitcoin is that um, we've never in human history had a situation where all the countries were in tremendous debt at the same time. And we're so interconnected because of the way the financial system worked. We just have no historical precedent for that. Um, and the, the manifestation of that is that we have no historical precedent for negative interest rates. We're now starting to see, I, I think I saw in, uh, I think it was Denmark, mortgages have negative interest rates. Companies are, or, or individuals are being paid to borrow money to live in a house. Um, so we've gone, you know, from governments for years, Switzerland, heck, has, I think for 12 years had negative interest rates. Uh, and, uh, and then we went to corporations. We started to see corporations be able to borrow at negative interest rates. Now we're being able to see individuals borrow at negative interest rates. That is a sign that balance sheets are getting very tired and the end of the currency is near. Uh, will it be tomorrow? I don't know. Will it be 20 years from now? I don't know. The timing of these things is very hard to predict. Um, but you can read the writing on the wall that this is not a stable system. It's not a fair system. And uh, thank Thank you, Satoshi Nakamoto, the, the person who should really win the Nobel Prize uh, for, for empowering individuals and, and, and uh, giving us an option not to have to be stuck in, as being a bag holder in that system. So I have a fun question for you. Do you think yeah. ever Satoshi Nakamoto will come out and represent himself? I or doubt whoever it. it is. Yeah, I doubt it. I really doubt it. And I think at this point it would actually be a detriment. I, I kind of hope he, she, or they don't. Yeah. Someday we'll figure it out. You know, it'll right. be, you know, 50 years from now, maybe we'll, we'll eventually figure it out. But uh, I kind of hope they don't at this point, he, she, or they. So the answer it looks like to you is Bitcoin for the global <laughs> uh, security in 50 years from now that we really haven't prepared for when it comes to financial system. But um, uh, my final question for you is that we talked a heck lot about Bitcoin right now, but yep. there are a ton of other cryptocurrencies out there. Oh and yeah. Do you have a favorite other than, other than Bitcoin? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't. I own a, 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 a bunch of cryptocurrencies like a lot of us in the industry. Um, I will say I have a lot of respect for what IOHK, which moved to Wyoming. I didn't know much about them until they moved to Wyoming. I started spending time with Charles Hoskinson, the uh, co-creator of Cardano. And the reason I'm highlighting that one is because I respect the academic research that's going into that. And I'm not a developer, so I don't have a particular insight um, that's better than anybody else on that. I'm just watching the academics around especially the, the computer science department folks at the University of Wyoming. Um, and they really, they really do like that one. And, and, and when I went to the IOHK summit in Miami this spring, one of the things I saw that was unusual about that group was that, you know, usually you have booths that have advertisements for businesses. They had easels that blew up the front pages of academic white papers about cryptocurrency. Um, and it wasn't all about Cardano itself. It was, it was you know, broader than just, um, you know, the, the ecosystem. I think one, uh, one of the things it, that we do tend to be pretty um, parochial and everybody sort of goes to their, in, into their own camps and then, you know, tends to fight it out about which one is the best. All of us owe, owe 
owe allegiance to Bitcoin because that's where it started. Uh, but once you break out from that, um, it, you know, I feel like it's jump ball. There's some wonderful Ethereum projects and wonderful Cardano projects. Uh, EOS is interesting. There's just so many of them. And, and I, I don't mean to be calling any of them out um, because, uh, again, I don't have any better knowledge than anybody else. Other than to say that I do respect the academic level of work that's going into Cardano. Will that in the end make it a better investment? I have no clue. I'm not giving investment advice about that. But um, it is something that even I, as a, as a mere mortal non-developer, have taken note of. That's a perfect conclusion because actually Charles is going to be our next guest on the Oh, on the I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's like, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You just mentioned yeah. it. So we're going to have this uh, on YouTube. We're going to have this. Okay, watch the next one. So people are like, yeah, watch the next one. It. Absolutely. Will, like, you know, I don't have to do it, it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. That's, he's, by the way, he's going to be a main sponsor and, and he's bringing up several developers to the Wyoming Blockchain Stampede and Wyo Hackathon which starts September 19th through the 22nd. Really, it's that weekend, starting that Friday the 20th through the 22nd. In Laramie, Wyoming, it's free. We have well over $100,000 in developer prizes. So uh, the cost of getting here, come in, come in this beautiful time of the year in Wyoming and come kick the tires, especially if you're thinking about setting up a business here. You will be in very good company soon. That is awesome information. And I don't awesome. know what I'm doing in September. Maybe I'll make the time come to come. <laughs> no, come on out. Actually, we, we have um, the main sponsor is Kraken and Jesse Powell. They're bringing a big team of people from Kraken as well. Uh, and, and we have so many others. They're still, the sponsorships are still coming in. Go to yohackathon, one word, dot io. And uh, again, registration is free. There's a business conference for, again, the mere mortals of us that are not developers. And then there's a developer conference and the hackathon. And we also have something called the Sam Castle Challenge, the, which is the top two folks from the hackathon, I believe, are entered into the Sam Castle Invitational. Though the top two from that um, automatically go to Dubai 2020. So it's a very prestigious uh, event that's put on by hardcore computer scientists. We have a great producer and the feedback we got at the first event last year was that we nailed it. We, got, we gave the developers what they wanted. We gave them cots, comfortable cots so they could sleep, um, gave them great food and great Wi-Fi. And some amazing things happened last year. Come on out, you'll, you'll be on the first, a first name basis with the Wyoming governor if you want to be. Come spend time with him. You heard Caitlin, you guys. Let's go. Let's make it yet another amazing event. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining me today. Oh, thank, thank you. For all the insights. I'm sure everyone was <laughs> fascinated by the amount of knowledge that they have in the industry and the amount of work that you're doing in the field. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, you guys watching us, I will see you in the next video, Diva on the Block with Charles, actually. So thank you. <laughs> Enjoy. Thank you so much. Thank Bye -bye. you, Caitlin. Before we hang up, I always yeah. ask our guests, could you please make a silly face for our audience so that we a put it A silly face? Yes. <laughs> I probably just did because I just looked up like that. That's no, that was a pretty face. face. I'm sorry. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't count. A silly face is more like, mm, or like, you're not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, a, a silly face. Hmm. 
That would be a silly face. Another I pretty guess. face. I don't think, oh, that's cute. All right, okay. that's it. Thank you. We got it, Caitlin. <laughs> Thank you right. so much again. And good luck with the moving and the Thank settling you. down. Oh, my God. I know it must be really tough. Oh, it is. It is. But it's great. It's so much fun to be out here. Come on out and visit us if you'd like I'll to. try. I'll actually go and look at my calendar, see if I can come. Sounds good. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Have a great you. weekend, Caitlin. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you. you. Bye-bye.